Hello all, and welcome back to From the Front Row. If this is your first time listening to us, welcome. We are a student-led podcast that explores issues across the field of public health. Today, I am joined by Jason Semprini, a second-year PhD student in our Department of Health Management Policy at the College of Public Health. Jason is a NIH pre-doctoral research fellow at the University of Iowa College of Public Health and College of Dentistry. Prior to beginning his PhD in the Department of Health Management and Policy, Jason was a Cancer Disparities Research Fellow as a master's student at the University of Chicago. His policy research on health disparities has been published in peer-reviewed journals and presented at conferences across the country. Jason, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with your path into health policy. Was there a specific moment where you said, I really want to be involved in this? Or was it more of a gradual climb into the field as a whole? Yeah, it was definitely a gradual climb. I started my career working at the community level, really immersed in seeing the the poverty of people all across the state of Iowa, whether it was issues with housing and health and domestic violence and food insecurity. There were there were so many issues that I was exposed to as, as a young professional and I didn't really know what to what to do about it. I thought, you know, there's there's social workers and I was working with doctors and, and lawyers and I, I didn't know how I could find a way for me to to make an impact. But that's when I started to to see the connection to to these to these policies that could either benefit these these people or continue to exasperate harm. When you're talking about the community involvement, what exact position led you to interact with that breadth of different healthcare professionals and, and folks involved with the social work aspect side of things? Yeah, two two early positions. One, I was an AmeriCorps member at a, a nonprofit law firm, so I was I was interviewing and, and doing community outreach at domestic violence shelters and homeless shelters and, and food food sites, and just seeing these people trying to get by day to day that were facing eviction or losing their Medicaid benefits or their Social Security income. And then moving forward a few years, I was I was actually a caseworker myself, uh, coordinating Medicaid home health services for for people with disabilities. And of those experiences, what really pushed you to go into the PhD side of things? You'd mentioned you'd come along with a master's already in terms of your work experience as well. Was there something specific that influenced your decision to take some time before going ahead? And, And why go and get a PhD specifically in this field of health services research? Yeah, well, the reason I, I took my time is I, I wanted to make sure I knew exactly what I wanted to do. We all know as, as graduate students, there's there's definitely a cost, both financial and time. So I didn't want to, to waste uh, my time and, and resources on something that I, I wasn't really passionate about. And when I finally started my master's and knew that policy was the direction I wanted to go, I was really taken over by the idea of research. And finding out some solutions and identifying those those key problems that we can we can focus on through research and and that's what led me to a phd i guess i, guess I just wanted to get better at, at that part of the policy research were there some skills specifically that you earned in your master's degree that you thought i really need to improve on this and a phd will help me get there was there a point of inflection there where you said this is where i want to learn more about yeah, yeah. I think that was the, the big step and kind of the motivating piece for moving from a master's where I learned a lot of data analysis skills and how to communicate effectively the findings of this of this research. But what I what I thought that the PhD and what and what I'm learning is that I can 
you know, to be an independent researcher and, and work more effectively with other individuals doing collaborative research is kind of the, the motivation behind different policies, really understanding the mechanisms for how policies can actually impact people. Again, taking it back to, to, the, to the community and individual level, how can these policies, what are the kind of the links? And the PhD is helping me think through that, those processes. Do you think that your experience at the ground level really augments your ability to understand how these policies impact folks in vulnerable or disadvantaged patient populations? Oh, absolutely. I I think about some of these experiences all the time. Some of the people that I've met, whether it's the the clients at at this nonprofit law firm or some of the, the healthcare workers that I've collaborated with over the years, we think about policies and we think that they they might have some intended effect, but without really thinking through how it'll affect the people most impacted, the, those policies won't have um, have the have the out, lead to the outcomes that we're we're hoping for. When you're reflecting on your decision, how did you end up choosing the University of Iowa? What really spoke to you about this program over others? I know you'd mentioned your background being in Iowa and seeing you know the the healthcare disparities apparent in the region. Was that a combining factor into your decision as well? Yeah, it was. I, I guess to be honest, growing up as an Iowan, I always, always wanted to go to the University of Iowa. I wanted to play football and be the quarterback, but I guess I settled to be the uh, a researcher, which I guess is uh, I prefer that now. But uh, in all seriousness, when I interviewed at the University of Iowa and got to meet some of the faculty, they were just as committed to addressing social inequities and health disparities through their research as, as, I, as I was, whether it was from a rural perspective or looking at people who earn low wages, um, racial and ethnic disparities, that was all here at the University of Iowa. And, and the level of rigor that some of these faculty use in their methods, I wanted to be exposed to that. So it was, it was a very clear decision, um, a very easy decision for me to make. In these first two years, because we're we know we're early into your program relatively to others, what are you most proud that you've been able to accomplish during your tenure here? That's an interesting question. I I can't think of a specific event or a, a deliverable that that happened. I think part of the PhD and any any graduates. Uh, education, it's kind of a grind. And I think just surviving over the past two years, especially over the past half year since March of 2020, getting through, not missing out on some of the extracurricular experiences, still passing my my exams and, and contributing to meaningful research at the university. Um, I think just, it's a slow go, but I think just continuing to move forward is is my favorite accomplishment. How does the pandemic intersect with your academic life? Because we've all had this big shift right now, and especially when you're going into something like a PhD, which I imagine is it's a very difficult burden to balance at times. How have you been able to adapt during the pandemic to ensure that you are academically successful? Yeah, I've tried to stick to a schedule. Go to the, I still go to class. I still talk to my peers and colleagues. I don't want that to, to fall to the wayside just because we have to do it over a different medium. I will say that this has kind of opened some doors. I know we've talked, we've heard a lot on your podcast before about telehealth. I think Teleeducation, or at least collaborative research using 
online tools, I think is, is going to proliferate. And I think it can help us include more people across not just the not just the country, but across the world uh, studying issues that, that we're all interested in. Have you had that experience where you've been able to collaborate through the teleeducation medium, through the, you know, we've had the Zoom meetings go on constantly with folks. Have you found that to be an effective way of communicating things or is it no replacement for in-person communication? Do you think there's a happy medium in the middle? Where, where do you see that headed towards in the academic space? Yeah, I, I think there is. I, I think, I guess I, I try to be an optimist when I can, but I guess the, the opportunities that present themselves from an online mode, I, I see them as outweighing the, the cost, especially for people in, in our career uh, stage, maybe for, for children, it's it's much different. But for example, uh, some, some high school student down in, in Georgia reached out to me about a paper I wrote last year for a health policy class. And she's, she's doing an AP capstone. And she was interested in, in telehealth for cancer. And, and I, I would have never been able to talk to this high school student. You know, I wasn't going to drive down to Georgia to, to give her a quick coffee chat. But I thought that was that was an interesting opportunity and wouldn't have been able to happen without uh, thinking of, of using online tools. So. That was fantastic to see the, the proliferation of things. Within that sphere of the pandemic as well, and on top of graduate school, you're also balancing the family life side of things, also being a parent at this time. How do you ensure you can meet your scholastic and your familiar obligations? Yeah, and I, I think they're um, just, I've always known that that my family is is the most important thing and, and it's family and then and then work. But I I wouldn't be as successful in my my studies and my work with without my family. They they help keep me keep me grounded. They my wife and daughter give me, you know, so much support, but also just a a way to let go and step away from from work for a minute. If it I'm, I'm kind of lucky in a sense that I have these other duties and obligations and and I get to have fun playing with with a cute little 2-year-old daughter it it helps they help keep me focused and but also keep me uh balanced as well i think that balance is really critical when you're talking about it and then i i wonder too you know do you feel like the university of i helps you keep that balance with your family are they supportive of you having a family and going to school yeah i i have been supported personally from my faculty that I work with, my supervisors, as well as I've been able to benefit from some of the resources that the university provides. However, I will say, though, that those resources aren't always easily accessible. So it's not that the University of Iowa doesn't provide the resources. There just might be some gaps in making sure that they're equitably distributed to all families who are uh, studying and, and working at the university. And I, I think there's steps being made. I'm actually on a family issues uh, charter committee uh, with the university. And I, I think um, there is definitely some some progress. And I, I think we're all very aware that there are still some gaps to address as far as getting those resources out. What are some of those steps that you want to see taken to address those gaps? You mentioned the health equity piece of it, and I'm sure that's completely blown apart by the pandemic right mm -hmm. now, too. Where do you see those gaps being taken care of? I guess for, for one example is just rethinking what it means to be a, a family member as a student or a worker for the University of Iowa. Thinking from a, a very traditional sense, if, if we only look at providing childcare subsidies for someone who goes to a daycare, you could really be missing um, some students and workers who have informal care or 
have have obligations outside of the typical nine to five work day, as well as you'll you'll miss some people who who take care of non children, whether it's adult, it's older adults or, or partners who who have special health healthcare needs. Do you see those voices represented a lot at those meetings, or do you get that feedback and commentary when you're there? That's part of the the question is how to get more people um, involved, and I think bringing it back to to having some of these meetings online, I think we're going to see more voices represented, especially uh, family members who who can't afford to spend two hours traveling back and forth to a meeting at seven o'clock at night, but you can, you can get the meeting done over a half hour from the comfort of your home with your, with your family needs taken care of. Easier, not completely, but right. <laughs> more accessible there. We're reflecting on, you know, these opportunities that you've been a part of, you know, and they, they all revolve around the focus of health equity as a whole. When you're looking at these issues that you've been able to take part of so far in, in your career, what do you think is the biggest health policy issue you'd like to focus on in your career that the general public needs to know more about? I think health policy, it's been not overtaken, but the, the big focus is on is on coverage and, and access. And I think that's 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 critical. But I think moving forward, eventually we're going to have, at least I hope, we're going to have universal coverage of all of people living in, living in this country. But what do we do from there? And even right now, we have people who receive health, health insurance. It's not always equitable, and it doesn't always lead to improved health. So how can we design the health system in a way that once people are in that system, they can realize some of these benefits that the rest of us um, have been experiencing? It's interesting because, you know, we have seen a lot of that, thinking back to the Affordable Care Act approach, right? We're trying to aim for the coverage side of things. There's been considerable concern about the quality of care, and making sure that that access doesn't necessarily equal, you know, good outcomes on those side of things. Within that that big sphere, right, of the quality of care or, or the, the timeliness of care or the, the affordable cost, actually, within it, which of those points do you think is most critical to emphasize for us going forward beyond the, the ability to even uh, have coverage as a whole, as you talked about with access? Yeah, and I, I guess I would add one more. Um, and mm-hmm. I think this is becoming more obvious that this is a, the, the duty and, and an obligation of the health, health system and health policy. It, it's addressing those social determinants of health and whether that is through healthcare interventions or if it's just the health system and health policymakers saying look we're we're seeing all of these negative consequences and inequalities on the back end that are caused not by anything that we're doing at the hospital or at the clinic but it's it's happening well before they ever enter the system so we're giving these people coverage and and that's that's necessary for their health and and their financial security but what are we doing to address some of these more structural issues and and one that i think is is probably the most prominent right now is 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 racism i used to think that that race was a a social determinant of health where where really it's it's just it's racism is the is the determinant of health and i think that is where we can really move forward. And I think 
we're starting to see more health systems get involved in that pursuit. On top of being anti-racist and going forward with the acknowledgement of the situation here, how do you see health systems? What's going to be, you know, there's the carrot and the stick model. You know, what do you think is going to entice health systems or, or push health systems to move on this really difficult issue that needs to be addressed to ensure that these healthcare disparity gaps get closed? I'm really interested in some of the the innovation happening where health systems are investing in affordable housing or they're increasing the wages of their workers at their hospital. Um, And these are workers who live near major uh, clinics or or large academic institutions. And and they haven't historically benefited from the presence of, of, um, of such a great institution. So I, I, I think I'm, I'm hopeful about some of those initiatives, and I, I think there's, there's more to come, and I'm, I'm going to stay tuned and, and hopefully try to be involved as I can. That's great to hear. I'm thinking back on this, too. We mentioned you know, a subsequent amount of opportunities to get involved, the path that's led you here as a whole. And when folks are reflecting on, you know, do I go out and consider getting a PhD, whether it's in health services research or other uh, areas of health policy or public health, what do you think is the best advice that you can give reflecting on your experiences to say, this might be an area you want to consider? This might be an area that you should think about going into? That's a great question. I, I would say the, the advice to someone considering a, a PhD, especially in health, health policy or health services research, is if you have a, a strong desire, not just a passion about a topic, but a strong desire to learn more about a topic and you enjoy learning both in workshops or, and in the classroom and reading there's there's no there's no uh, lack of reading in, in, in uh, P- the PhD pursuit but if you really have a desire to learn more about the topic that you're passionate in I think that is is a is a should serve as a signal to that you could maybe can that you should consider a PhD because that's a it's a protected time in our lives where we can really focus on on learning and learning how to learn more about a topic that um, is not really available on, in the professional and professional world where we were, were expected to get a lot more done. I appreciate that because we started out talking about how this time was important to take off right before you go into it to make sure that you are prepared to commit you know, three plus years of your life to studying something and learning how to learn. Um, I really appreciate that because it's that continual process that we really want to emphasize with folks is that idea of, you know, lifelong learning, right, Mm -hmm. as a whole is so critical. When we're reflecting on things for you, you know, we ask folks always one question at the end, it's the idea of what is one thing that you thought you knew, but were later wrong about? Sure. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good question. I, I like that that segment. Um, so what I what I would say here, from what I've seen at the community level and and beginning work, getting interested in health policy, I I saw all these problems and I thought, wow, if we just knew the answer to these problems, if we knew what these policies were doing then it would be so easy to just change that policy or adapt a new policy. So talking like a PhD, if we just find the evidence, we show it to the people in charge, they'll just listen to us and that will be that. And 
at my master's and and here at, at during my PhD, um, the the people that I've that I've gotten to learn from are very well aware and have reiterated that that is that is just not the case. The people have competing agendas, implicit or explicit, and again, I was I was quite upset about that. And then I you go through periods where you're where you're disgruntled and but i think that itself is is an opportunity where while it's not as easy as just presenting the evidence or presenting the research knowing that some people have competing agendas we can try to find some levers to to find compromise or at least incrementally try to make things better i think that's a really important answer especially now during the pandemic where in the field of public health, there are a lot of frustrating things going on. You know, there's a concern for our fellow Iowans. There's the concern for our fellow Americans and how the pandemic has affected people in many, many different ways and trying to navigate those areas and also to recognize that truly, right, the evidence does not always lead to the best outcome. There are those other forces at play. And then being able to emotionally navigate that too as, as a professional too. I think about right that that saying you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of that in health policy and beyond too in public health. But staying optimistic too. And and pressing on and being excited about learning and being passionate about understanding more for yourself as a whole, how you can make the lives of other folks better. So I want to thank you for your insights today and for for coming on our podcast and and sharing more about your life with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That's it for our episode this week. Major thanks to Jason Semprini for coming on today with us. This episode was hosted, written, edited, and produced by Steve Sanye. You can find more about the University of Iowa College of Public Health on Facebook. Our podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. If you enjoy this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Our team can be reached at cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. This episode was brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Keep on keeping on out there.